The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome again to another one of our Spotify Live sessions right here on the Spotify Live app. Pride of Detroit here, answering your Detroit Lions questions every Saturday morning during the offseason. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the editor-in-chief over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online and my panelists who will help me answer all of your Lions questions this week. First, we got managing editor of Pride of Detroit, Eric Schlitt, at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric, how we doing, buddy? Hey, buddy. I am excited that we are continuing to just inch our way closer to training camp, and uh, yes. that's super exciting. Yeah, two less than two weeks at this point. I think the first open practice is two weeks from from today, if I'm not mistaken. Um, rookie, but yeah, that means rookies report one week from today. So yeah, that's, that's crazy. Uh, it's going to be here before we know it. We're in the thick of it. Uh, our other panelist, uh, senior editor, Pride of Detroit, king of the sophomoric jokes, Sackmaster, best dad. I'm running out of titles to you. I, I forgot Eric's big title too, but we'll get to that in a minute. Ryan Matthews is here at Ryan underscore POD. Ryan, how are we doing? Boy, am I glad this is not a visual medium because I am uglier than Matt Patricia in a post-game press conference. Okay, wow. How's that for sophomore? <laughs> There's the, yep, nailed it. You nailed it, bud. Wow. Uh, all right. Uh, is this your first time listening or first time joining us live? We answer live lines questions here. Much like a, a radio call-in show, it'll be me. Ryan and the machine uh, answering your questions. Uh, but let's, let's, let's not waste any time here. Let's get to our first caller here. Daniel J is with us. Daniel, hey, welcome I, back to the show. Hey, thank you. Good to be with you again. So, Good you know, I can't help but noticing how many, you know, we seem to have a lot of competition in a lot of different position groups and, uh, uh, you know, what it comes down to a lot of times is uh, how, are, how, are, how is the player going to contribute on special teams? Um, you know, can Jamar Jefferson step it on, up on special teams? Um, you know, the competition in the running back room and the secondary. So what I'm kind of curious about is that competition for the special team slots, you know, like, uh, who are, you know, who are our gunners? Who might be our gunners? You know, we could look at the special teams, sort of like the position groups as being like vertical. Who's, you know, who's going to make it on the depth chart? 
But and and I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm curious what you think. It seems like uh, that we've drafted and signed a lot of players who are good special teams players. So wondering how you see that shaping up and and uh, you know what what you'll be looking for when when training camp comes around. Well, you, you know who I'm going to throw this one to first because uh, one of the only people that play, pays really, really close attention to this store, sort of stuff during training camp is Eric, the machine. Um, but yeah, beyond just like who might be those starting gunner jobs, I'm, I'm curious as to your opinion, Eric, on how much special teams is going to matter because the roster is getting better. Yeah. Are they maybe going to take some concessions at special teams just because they want the better players? I don't think they'll have to, to be honest, because, um, you know, okay, so they, they've retained some of their starting players, for uh, special teamers from last season. Like if you're looking at the gunner, uh, as, as Daniel mentioned, like Bobby Price was one of those starting gunners last year. Uh, Jerry Jacobs saw some, some time at, at Gunner. Uh, a guy like C.J. Moore was the personal protector, of, of, and then he also contributed on other uh, facets of special teams as well. And then you saw – this kind of, ever since they changed the rules of special teams a couple of years back, it's really been more conducive to have linebackers who can move. And with the, the amount of linebackers, both edge linebackers and off the ball linebackers, they have quite a bit of talent that can be utilized on special teams. And then uh, safety's body type fits as well. So there's, they have a lot of different guys who have shown that they they can be special teamer special teamers at at, uh, at the NFL level. So looking at this year though, it's really hard to say. But I it, I they do think they have competition. Like for example, I said Bobby Price re- returns on the outside. Kirby Joseph, who's a new addition, uh, he was a really good gunner at Illinois. Uh, they've talked, the coaches have talked about the fact that Trinity Benson has that appeal to be a gunner as well. And if he's going to make it as like wide receiver six, he's probably also going to have a gunner role as well. So they really like his speed at that level. So if a guy like Trinity, this is the, the cool part about the roster when you're formulating your 53 projections is that if Trinity Benson makes the roster as wide receiver six that lessens the need for a guy like Bobby Price. But if you don't keep Benson and let's say you keep somebody else, then a guy like Bobby Price is going to be more valuable because you still need to fill that gunner role. So special teams is a big factor, but it's, it's, I think it's too early to really start putting guys into specific roles beyond what we've seen previously, like, like I said, CJ Moore is in a really good spot. And then, but some of the other guys uh, it's, I think it's really up in the air. Um, The most, in addition to Kirby Joseph, I think the most notable special teams addition was Chris board, uh, the off the wall linebacker that the Alliance acquired from Baltimore. He's the guy who I think is really that Jalen Reeves Maben replacement from a special team standpoint. He's also going to do the same thing on defense, but from a special team standpoint, losing Jalen Reeves Maben could have been potentially significant. Chris Board fills that hole at a high level. And so uh, I don't think they're really going to have to sacrifice too much. Well, Ryan, I, I want to throw it to you about the, the returner roles, because I feel like that's kind of something that we gloss over. Maybe think we, you know, since both guys from last year, Khalif Raymond, the punt returner, and Godwin Igwebuke mostly handled kick returns. Do you think those jobs are up for grabs this year? Or do you think it's just kind of the returning incumbents are, are going to hold those positions? Um, I, I feel like it's open competition. Uh, for sure. I, I think that there's a, there's a number of guys that, you know, you guys um, 
both Eric has touched on a little bit and uh, the names that you just suggested as well. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how much that factors in, though, um, into the decisions when it comes to cutting down to 53. Uh, you know, as far as and, and I know you just asked me a question about returners, but the thing that Eric just left off on about Chris Board, like I find that so interesting because while he was brought in as that Jalen Reeves Maven replacement, you know, Eric mentioned that with the change in special teams rules, like really favors linebackers who can move. Well, that's another, I mean, like Malcolm Rodriguez, like that's another guy who you got to have circled as somebody who can contribute on special teams right away and has that kind of right attitude mentality. But like, at what point do players become too valuable to, to play on special teams? And I have questions about like how that's going to shake out with the linebackers, especially. Um, but uh, do you, do you want to tackle your own question a little bit further, Jeremy? I, I could. Um, it, it's interesting because I think I think both like I don't think Khalif Raymond his roster spot isn't really up for grabs. The contract it, it, I think he's one of those guys that it costs more to cut him than keep him. So I think I think punt return he might have some competition, but it's not going to impact his roster spot. And I, like Khalil Pimpleton is I think a guy that a lot of people are really excited about, but I don't think he's unless he he just shows up, you know, he, Jamal Agnew style. And, and immediately shows that he's he can be a huge impact guy in, in training camp in preseason. I don't think there's enough to really disrupt him there. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Khalif Raymond's spot is relatively spot it, relatively safe. Kick returner, though, I think is a little bit more interesting because Godwin wasn't great at it. He wasn't bad at it. I think uh, in term, it, he was like sixth or something in, in kick return average last year. But if you look like the numbers aren't all that different than like the 15th ranked guy. So um, I, I think his spot is definitely more up for grabs. I just don't know who else is going to take it. And, and maybe one of you ha- has a person in mind. Maybe it's Pimpleton. But again, I, I think he's a, a longer shot to make the roster. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What, I, what, what about what about Jamar Jefferson? It's possible. Um, he, he gets a little bit of, of reps there. I, I don't know if that's really his game, though, as, as a kick returner. But but I, I think my overall point is like it. it it leads into this fact that they're the running back stable is just like still completely unsettled. Greg Bell, maybe, I, I don't know, Eric, do you, do you have a guy that, that you like as, as, as competition for Godwin back there? I think Trinity Benson could end up in that, okay. in that role, yeah. right? Again, this is a guy they're looking to find a role for, and he has that type of speed. He's got four, four speed. And if, and if they're looking for a spot, he could be a guy who's a, uh, a returner plus gunner. And I think that would suit his skills. Now um, I, I'm not, I wouldn't even rule out looking over um, on the defensive side of the ball. Now they sure. haven't really shown a, a pension to do that. Mostly it's been like the offensive guys, but I, I think, I think Benson's in the mix. Um, I, my guess is when he's healthy, they're going to want Jamison Williams to just have a little bit of experience in case they need a big play because he's shown in college he can do it. But this gets to the point where Ryan was talking about at what point does it become problematic because the player's too important in another avenue, right? At at Alabama, they played him on special teams and, um, you know, as a starter, but can't do that as much in the NFL. And so, Jamison, I think, would be really good as like an emergency, which is they've done in the past. But I, I wouldn't expect Jamison to be a guy out there primarily. So, hey, quick question: Can you explain these uh, the rule changes? Uh, I'm not familiar with those and and how that's impacted the special teams roster. 
it wasn't it wasn't anything like too significant it was just like about where you can place guys um how they have to you have to have a certain amount of guys uh close within like 10 yards of the ball you have to split them on either side of of the ball that's being kicked and so when they did that it eliminated the teams to be able to use bigger bodies like sometimes teams would use like defensive ends but now you need those uh big guys but who can run and so you need them to be able to you know go retreat back to the ball to get into position to get into a blocking formation and so what you've seen is less bigger edge type guys that have been no that are no longer on special teams and then now you're seeing more linebackers who are you know still bigger bodies but are quicker and can move around the field more um you've seen them you've seen teams use uh, running backs a little bit more safeties a little bit more uh, it's just it eliminated bigger bodies uh, when they started shifting like where players could set up and the the wedge rule too right yeah um, yeah where you certainly. could have like three or four guys lined up bunched together now it's it's I think it's either two or none I don't I don't remember exactly but yeah you can have like two guys yeah. on one side and two guys on another but yeah. like I don't think they can be connected at impact or something yeah it's it's they changed it up so you you're you're adding more speed and the idea is is that if you have less bigger bodies less bigger hits less injuries type of thing right uh can i i just want to throw one more name out there that in training camp i think a lot of people were eager to i i think I, i think the linebacking group is just fascinating to me just because of the competition and you know dan campbell calling it a bloodbath and everything I think a lot of people saw the Jared Davis signing and they pointed at that and said, well, you know, it's not really, you know, they they can cut him without really any penalty. He's just, you know, coming in as, you know, can he rise to the occasion? Jared Davis played 111 special team snaps in seven games last year for the Jets. Yeah. Like, and, and I mean, he, he played an awful lot of special teams in his final year in Detroit too, but like, I think what's most interesting is that he was all, he was on kick return. He was on kick coverage. He was on punt return. He was on, you know, field goal block. Like he was, he was all over the place. So like, I'm wondering if like one of those, you know, bottom of the, you know, quote unquote, like bottom of the roster uh, spots that's held by special teams guys. I mean, like you might want to give the edge to a guy like Jared Davis, who's a veteran who, I mean, can give you, you know, I don't want to say replacement level play, but like, that's a really interesting wrinkle that I wasn't really considering because I thought it was either like either he can play on defense or the Lions will move on from him. But I kind of think that he's a little bit more safer than a lot of people might anticipate him being. He's he can fill a lot of roles, right? That's that's the key is that he can he can play edge. He can play off ball. He can he can be on special teams. Like you said, he can be kick return, kick coverage, kick block, all that sort of stuff because he's just got such a unique physical skill set. He's still working on the mental part, but like. When, when you're able to fill so many roles on just an intensity level, they're, they're going to find a way to use you. To, to further add just one more point in this area, last season the Lions kept five off-the-ball linebackers active on game day almost every single week, even though they only played two, maybe three. They had two linebackers that were only active because of their special teams' roles. So when we're looking at how many linebackers will they keep, and we, we may say, oh, they only need, you know, there's only four that are talented enough to make it, you, we have to consider the fact that 
they need another, they're going to need another linebacker body type in order to fill those special teams roles. Now, this is where that kind of hybrid James Houston type comes into right. play a little bit. And like, he's going to help. And, and Julian Aquara, they like, they can, they can ease some of that burden, but they've shown last year, they're, they're not just keeping five on the active roster. They're keeping five on game days as well. So um, it's an important position that even though it's, it's a, it's weak from a talent standpoint, it's, it's important from a special team standpoint. Fair enough. Daniel, appreciate the question. Um, I'm going to go take a shower now that we talked about special teams that long. Um, but but while I do, let's bring Mathis aboard. Mathis, what's going on, buddy? Not much, not much. How's it going with you guys? Great. Um, so uh, I guess uh, my my question, um, since we talked a lot about special teams, uh, maybe maybe some talk about Jared Goff. Might help you out a little bit more. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but w- I guess we we've seen obviously you know Jared Goff has that 2018, 2018 year that everybody that you know everybody knows everybody knows about. Um, do you think um, with with some of this wide receiver court, how much better do you think Goff should be just because we actually have weapons now, and then how much better then that does he need to be, do you think, for for us to for for you to consider him a real like we don't need to draft. We can use those two first runners to pick more guys instead of trying to go up and get a um get a quarterback. What what do you think is your level of like how much he should get better just because of better wide receiver play, but then how much better do you need him to be to actually want to keep him around? I, I love this question because Ryan, we, we kind of had a, a similar kind of conversation on, on Wednesday when we were doing our little um, would you rather, just talking about would you rather Jared Goff, you know, be at a level where you'd be confident in him playing in 2023, and we discussed a little bit about what that would look like, um, and I was talking about how my expectations for him have risen, I would say significantly this year, and I'm not, I'm not expecting him to be a top 10 quarterback, that might be the back half of my answer to, to this question, but I'm curious, you where where are you your expectations for him right now? And then yeah, like like Matthew said, how much does he have to, um, you know, do better than that to to really gain your confidence of him potentially being a a, a franchise guy? Yeah, I, I feel like we've we've circled around this question a lot this off season about like you know what are the expectations for golf like just in terms of his statistical output like what what kind of expectations do you tie to him in terms of the overall team success? Um, I remember one week we were talking about it and I was like, well, really, I want to see the offense just like score more points per game. Um, I think what is most interesting about the way that Mathis just framed this question is how much better do you think Jared Goff should be because of the talent around him? And I think that there, there are still plenty of question marks about the talent that's around him. Like, Yes, the Lions have, have, have done a much better job uh, this offseason, you know, uh, all constraints considered, right? I mean, uh, last year, you know, Holmes coming in and kind of just having to do, like, patchwork job, Tyrell Williams, Brashad Perryman, Cleef Raymond and the such, right? But now you look at what the Lions have, and I think the expectation for Goff just rises because of the expectation – that is kind of going like unspoken of when it comes to the skill position players. Like 
how 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 reliable and how dependable how much can you count on dj chark you know one season of really good really good play injuries you know jameson williams are we going to see him before november uh you know i'm on ross st brown is he the guy over the last six weeks of you know uh 2021 or is he now going to be a focal point for a lot of defenses I think that that is the most interesting wrinkle in, in, in all of this calculus that we're doing is like, yeah, the expectations for golf have risen because of all of the things that are around him. But I'm just wondering if, if those guys can prop up Jared Goff in, in a way, I, I guess that, I, I guess that's where I'm at right now. I, so I, I think it's, it's kind of hard to yeah. answer this question. I, it, that's interesting. Cause I do, I think if you look at this receiving core without Jamison Williams, which I know, I know, Eric, we, we've had some back and forth discussions about whether he's going to be ready or not. But without him, I would say it's a pretty average receiving core. Like DJ Chark is your number one is OK. But like you said, a lot of questions about it. Josh Reynolds as your number two is, again, OK. Uh, played pretty well down the stretch, but not not a game changer by any means. I'm on Ross is probably a pretty darn good wide receiver three slash slot. And then you throw in Hawkinson, you throw in Swift, and, and maybe that pushes you to maybe a little bit above average. So. That's, I mean, it's not like, wow, Jared Goff's got a top 10 receiving unit. He should be a top 10 quarterback. No, I don't think you're there. But, I mean, we also have to include the offensive line finally being together and, and hopefully actually playing a snap together and, and hopefully a lot more than that. You have to talk about maybe a running game that averaged 4.4 yards per carry and might be even better this year. And to me, you put all that together and then eventually getting Jamison Williams, I think Jared Goff needs to have, should have, an average season, like right in that 14 to, to 18 range of, of, and I, you know, I don't know what that statistical output put, puts him at, but he should be an average NFL quarterback with that kind of support system. Is that, is that a fair expectation for, for golf in, in year two here, Eric? Well, first off, I take umbrage with the uh, order you put the receivers in. St. Brown, number three? Come on. Well, I'm just going from outside to inside. I I understand. But let's be be serious here. I mean, look, yeah. uh, When you look at what Goff did last season, at the end of the season, and you consider the fact that he was minus TJ Hawkinson, minus DeAndre Swift for a lot of that, and now you should get those two guys back healthy, plus Shark and plus Jameson at some point, you you only keep like 12 or 13 skill players. That's 33% of the skill players that you have now upgraded. And so when you look at what he did down the back half of the stretch, the stretch and then you upgrade 30 percent of of his options that should really be his floor like that should be the expectation for him coming in and that's kind of where i'm at is i'm expecting him to come out and be back half of the season jared goff and if he is now i want to see more in order to if he's going to be a guy that you want to keep around beyond that if he regresses then I, then he's not going to be the guy and, and you're going to know that and you're going to be you're going to be drafting a quarterback in order to replace him but he should come in with a minimum floor of being able to do what he did the back half of the season and then go up from there and, and I don't think that's unrealistic and maybe maybe it's unfair to expect him to to write, raise his game up even more but he, honestly he should and if you are considering a guy to be your long-term solution he better be producing at a at a level where he's putting up numbers that 
are uh, some of the best of his career because he's going to have uh, he's going to need that in order to to stick around in my opinion that's I, that seems like really high expectations for me i like we're, he was if you you're talking statistically maybe not pff grade or maybe not eyeball test but like top 10 quarterback in, in terms of a lot of stats down the stretch so you you expect him to come out the gate being like borderline top 10 I think he should be top 16 minimum. And I think if he's going okay. to stick around, he should be closer into that top 12, top 12, top 10 range, certainly. I agree with that part. I think if, if he's going to be the quarterback of the future, I'm, I'm not going to put any limit. He needs to be a top 10 quarterback, period. Yeah, the, the, there's one one thing that I want to throw into the, the Jared Goff pot that we're stirring right now. And it, it, it might be what separates him from being you know, in that 16 to 20 range and making the leap that Eric kind of has in terms of expectations about him finishing top, you know, at the back end of top 10, maybe early teens is can Jared Goff go out and win a game that is a shootout? Like can Jared Goff win a football game where the defense is doing him no favors? I think that's going to be a, I, I think that it's a fair test for him this season. I'm not putting quarterback wins on him, but like, what what I what I'm saying is, can Jared Goff in a shootout can he come out on top? And I think that if there's a if there's a situation or a game where that happens and he proves that he can do that, that I think that speaks volumes about what he can do. That, I think that's actually a really good point because a lot of quarterbacks can look good when the game is going well, right? Like when you're able to stick to your script, you're, yeah, it's a great example. When you're able to stick to your script, you're able to to stay balanced on offense. You don't need to take any like huge risks or anything like that. You're not feeling pressure from that defense where you have to score on every drive. But if you want to be a top tier quarterback in this league, a Super Bowl, you know, caliber quarterback, you're not going to be in those easy situations all the time. Even the best teams in the NFL sometimes need to score in a hurry and score in flurries and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And so that's something that we haven't seen Goff do a lot. Like he, he's played from behind and, and he's won a couple, you know, brought back, you know, his, his drive against Minnesota was one of the most calm one minute drives that, that I've ever seen out of him. But we need to see that a lot more for me to be comfortable of him kind of being that, that, top-tier quarterback that, that can be a franchise guy. And, and the reason I say that, too, is Brandon Kerr brings it up in our chat. Like, you remember the – the Mon- I think it was a Monday night showdown, right? Kansas City and Los Angeles. That's right, yeah. And, you know, golf comes out on top. Okay, can you do that in Detroit? Yeah. You know, can, can you do that with the group that's around you? Because I think that's what – it keeps on coming back to, like, when, when golf has talented players around him, he can succeed we think that he has talented players around him now. So that's the expectation is that we need to see him succeed. Fair enough. All right. Mathis, appreciate the question. Oh, you got something else, Eric, really quick. No, I, I was just going to say your Minnesota point was right on. Like you yeah. got to remember the, the, the circumstances around that end of game wasn't just the last drive, but they fumbled in order to give me, and then Minnesota scored a touchdown to take the lead. Like it was, it was like not just the calmness, it was the situation not being too big for him. It's a, it was the situation being able to come from a from a big negative where you essentially lost the game to be able to drive this team that like that needs to be the norm. 
that yeah. right that like that needs to be what he's capable of doing nine out of ten times in order to uh and that's where my expectations are i expect to see minnesota jared goff more uh in in this season let's hope so mathis appreciate the question buddy thanks guys keep up the great work thanks man uh let's close out our first segment here with nyan nyan welcome back to the show buddy hello guys how you doing Doing great, doing great. Thank you. Yep. So, uh, we're in the deep end of the offseason. There's not a lot about the roster that has not already been talked about to oblivion. in. So, I want to ask a more personal question about you three. Uh, which other sports beyond gridiron football you follow and why? I've seen... Uh, Ryan about hockey and you, Jeremy, about tennis. So I'm curious. Uh, Eric, I have seen nothing. So really curious about that. Okay. Yeah. Let's start to Eric first. <laughs> the, the man of mystery. What What other are, are you just so encompassed by Detroit Lions coverage that you don't have time for anything else? I, I, I tell you, I used to be a very avid fan of all Detroit sports. Um, I used to, pl- I grew up playing soccer. So I was a, a, a big soccer fan. Um, but as the job has gotten more, it's required more responsibility. And as I've gotten deeper into my like obsession with trying to understand everything I can about the NFL and the, and the lions, the other sports have kind of tapered off. And and so, um, I, I don't pay as much attention to to the sports as, as I used to. Like five years ago, I, I could tell you a whole bunch about every team, but not anymore. Like it's just I'm now yeah. so engrossed in the NFL and, and the Lions and, and just all the nuances that I haven't really paid that much attention. If, if there's a sport that tends to uh, or if there's a event that tends to take me away from the NFL, it it, it tends to be like the World Cup. Like I really enjoy mm-hmm. watching both men's and women's World Cup. Um, and if those are fun events, but from a, on a day-to-day basis of following the team, I've just, I, I haven't been able to do that in, in years. Ryan, I feel like you're the most well-rounded of, of us. And that's, I mean, part of, part of that is like, you're not on the beat, like, like, uh, me and Eric are, but is there, what's your, I don't know, really know what your hierarchy. If I had to get, no, I'm not even going to guess what's, what's your hierarchy in, in sports fandoms, I guess. No, I want you to guess. Okay, I think I think it's I, I don't know whether to put Pistons or I think Pistons is ahead of Red Wings right now. I think it's Lions, Pistons, Red Wings, Tigers. Yeah, close. So like I so before I got the job at Pride of Detroit, like Lions were number three, like yeah. solid number three. Obviously, baseball was like a big deal um, for a little bit here in Detroit. Um, but that I'm like the most fair weather Tigers fan that you'll meet, but sure. Um, it's tough because I, I feel like as soon as the salary cap era started, like I went on, I'm talking about hockey, but like as soon as the salary cap era started in the NHL, like I, I was more swept up in basketball. Like the Pistons were really good. Rasheed Wallace is one of my favorite players of all time. So like I was all the way invested in, in the Detroit Pistons and everything. So um yeah big big basketball fan um I coached basketball for for a little bit um at the high school level 
I, I really enjoy it. I think it's one of those sports where like, I think it's truly one of those sports where uh, effort can like, especially at the high school level or the high school level, sorry, that like effort can supersede talent. Um, and you see, you see, and I mean, that's the reason why March Madness is so exciting, right? Like, sure. I, I think, I think basketball is just a, it's a great sport. Like the, the, the two things that share with like hockey and basketball, though, they're free flowing for the most part. Right. And, right. And football is just a, a different beast and, you know, baseball puts me to sleep. So um, <laughs> I don't know. That, that's yeah. It's kind of where I'm at. I, real quick though. I want to point out that Eric went like full uncle Ben on us. Like when he was talking about responsibility on the beat and I was like, oh, man, with great power comes great responsibility. The machine has spoken. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm definitely more towards Eric on that end of the spectrum where I just don't feel like the other sports teams have, I, I have enough time for them. Um, but I'm definitely like the hierarchy for me is pretty clear. It's, it's, it's football and, you know, college football is included there. Hockey is next. And then I guess, oh man, I, it's probably actually baseball before basketball, but only just because, like, I was a short kid, so I always kind of resented basketball a little bit. I, I got into the, the 04 Pistons and all that sort of stuff because it was ha- kind of hard not to, but I just, I think I could casually watch a basketball game more, or baseball game more than I could watch a a, a, a basketball game. And then, yeah, like ten, like Nyan said, like, I'm, I'm a big tennis guy, too. I, I try to play a bunch, and uh, catch as much on TV just because I think that's just such an, a physical and mental endurance, maybe, maybe more so than any other sport is that tennis is just such a, you're out there by yourself. It's physically exhausting. And, and you, like, you're just in front of everybody. And, and I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool stage. And I think more people should be into tennis. That's all. That's all I'll say. But that's all. Thank you for the answer. Yeah, no. Uh, and just uh, go ahead. Just for Dan on the chat. Come on, man. That, I, I'm I I won't believe cricket is a sport that exists when I watch live. <laughs> I don't think I will. <laughs> yeah. All right. Appreciate it, Nyan. Thank you for the personal question. I kind of I, I appreciate that. Uh, getting to know us a little better. But with that, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, answering more of your questions here on the Spotify Live app. If you want to join us, make sure you download the Spotify Live app. Follow at Pride of Detroit and watch prideofdetroit.com to see the next time we go live. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. 
And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And welcome back to our Spotify Live Live Lines Q&A here on the Spotify Live app. Let's just jump right back into our, our callers here. We got Harry up next. Hi, Harry here. First time caller, long time piece of shit. And of course, yes, curling sweeps, slides, and slaps. Everybody knows this. Uh, as far as the Lions question goes, of the current Lions roster of players, one becomes for the foreseeable future, your dietitian, one becomes your wardrobe specialist, and one joins the podcast as a permanent host. Who are those players? Harry out. <laughs> dietitian, wardrobe, and podcast host. Oh man, uh, is this this is just like a, a personal uh, improvement reality show? I guess. Uh, I don't even know where to start. I, I'm going to have to pass the buck to one of you guys. Who who can at least answer one of those questions first? Okay, hold on. Dietitian, what was the second one? Uh, wardrobe. Wardrobe. Your wardrobe uh, stylist. Who gets your then, drip on? Who gets your drip on? I would – for dietitian, let's – I might go with St. Brown – like I feel like St. Brown. Yeah, has... someone that treats his body like a temple. Right, exactly. So I, I, I'll, I'll throw St. Brown in there, and then uh, I'll let the rest of you guys, uh, I'll let you guys think about the other ones. But yes, St. <laughs> Brown. Uh, maybe, maybe I, I would. I'll put an honorable mention on Swift, being that his, uh, you know, his, his background and his family as well. Oh, but maybe, maybe the Aquaras, because mm. they do it. They do feast right. So. Ah, there's three. There's the the Aquaras or, or or Saint Brown or Swift. Those are all, I think, good dietitian choices. <laughs> Ryan, what are you thinking? I'm thinking an underrated choice for dietitian, and I don't think that this is how a dietitian works. But I would take Aline McNeil. <laughs> you just want to eat like he does. <laughs> I just I just want I I want to be on the same diet, and he's probably going to be like, dude, you're going to get bigger, and I'm going to be like, okay, that's fine, but like, can I? <laughs> Just show me how you lift so many weights and get so strong, big fella. Mm. Um, also, maybe we can maybe we can collab on a on a you know rap project too. So I mean, you get a dietitian and you get an artist all wrapped in one. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I I don't know. I I don't get to see as many of the player I, players outfits as I think I that well, maybe yeah, you mean, guys do. Well, I mean, you haven't been in the locker room in a while. So. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. We, I think we all just kind of get those pictures as they're boarding the planes. Uh, and I don't know. I, I'm trying to think uh, if there's someone that, that uh, jumps off the page and someone's just like, Oh, that person's got to go out. Amani uh, Oorie ha- is mm. like starting his own fashion like line. Oh, that's like right. Right. Like he's yeah. very much into that uh, progressive fashion scene. Uh, and then Romeo always keeps it, you know, uh, keeps it really, I mean, he looks good too all the time, right? And he's got that photography background where he's always looking for those angles. So I'm going back to Aquara and, I, I think, and, and no, I think again. I think Romeo is a great answer for that one. And then in terms of podcast guest, I mean, like Jamal is, is the obvious answer, right? Like I feel like Jamal has to come off the board because, I mean, well, as, as someone 
who who deals with with uh, a fair share of, of podcast personalities, the, the one thing that would probably annoy you about Jamal is that he would talk over you or what do you like, mean? Talk derail over you? you. What he or derail you, you completely? <laughs> um, Tanay Sewell is an underrated answer here too. Yeah, I think that guy has he he's got that guy has so much, uh, what exuberance? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I. I think if you're looking for maybe a more level-headed person who would actually give you like good analysis and would would be entertaining, I think I think Jason Cabinda is a really good personality for a podcast. Mm, I thought for sure you were gonna say Kelvin Shepard. <laughs> no, Kelvin Shepard is my dietitian, dude. That guy eats awesome-looking things. Maybe Deshaun Elliott. Deshaun Elliott might be a good choice for dietitian. Considering he wants to get into culinary. <laughs> I, that's just going to be like a secret thing you bring up like every podcast. All the time. <laughs> the, the one time. Fox 2 story where he's making pizza. Guy want, Hey, I'm sorry that I want to see a guy live out his dreams. Okay. <laughs> any, any other candidates for podcasting host? Maybe Frank. You know, he's got his own <laughs> show. So he, I think he would be able to transition pretty smoothly. That's fair. That's fair. All right. We'll leave it at that then. Uh, thanks for the question, Harry. Uh, let's bring Harry on... Harry be bad. Harry be bad. That's right. Uh, now it's time for the Spotify Live All-Star. Dan P. Dan, welcome to the show again. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, can you hear me all right? You're good. You're good. All right. All right. Well, listen, I just have to... I wanted to say a quick story. Uh, my dad always taught me growing up about the Queen. And uh, she said he said she was more than a more than a figurehead in the fact that she could, um, you know, strike parliament and order a general election. And I, I just bring it up, and admittedly they could have done it in 2016 for Brexit or whatever, and I'm not trying to be political, easy, easy, but I'm just, <laughs> I just want to let the Queen know, if she's listening, uh, she, afternoon, is. she definitely is. But it, it was probably right that she didn't do that, because I just wanted to share a story from Wednesday of uh, feeling, feeling the uh, Spotlight Live all-star and requesting that your mum come onto the chat and then getting it shut down, like in the in the in the split second. I just want to know that power is not real; it's just temporary, and it's, it doesn't last. But no, sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, man. I've got this thing I wanted to ask about, and it's a word I learned from Marvel. I can't blame my son for watching Marvel movies. I watch them. Do you know what I mean? But it's a it's retcon, you know, like retroactive continuity, you know, like the, the horrible Star Wars one three three movies versus say, you know, a little bit better with Obi Wan Kenobi, but I'm talking about Trinity Benson. I'm talking about AJ Parker. I'm talking about all of these people. Sorry, I'm just not breathing enough. But I'm talking about all these people that, like, the story's changed. Because, and I think AJ Parker was the one that sort of surprised me the most. And I really enjoyed Daniel's question about special teams. So you're going to need, you are going to need another shower, Jeremy, because we're going back in. <laughs> and I just, yeah, cause it, it gets crazy because, like, how many is too many special teams? How many people can play special teams? I wouldn't want JMO to do it, but I, I can understand why they're interested in it. And um, one question, I, this was the question I had earlier <laughs> in the week, was um, the retcon about Dan Campbell. And I'm not, I'm not stopping the, the Kool-Aid. I'm not. I'm cu- and curling rocks. But, no, it's this aspect where I think somebody wrote an article saying, my, uh, Dan Campbell took over and then the play calling just changed and everything was great. And I just, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, pee in the punch or anything like that, but you know, it took a few games, you know what I mean? And, and, and it's also why I think that it's got to be Ben Johnson there, you know, because it's it sort of, he was, he helped him so much, but 
my question, I'm not going to get there, am I? It's, it's a <laughs> show. Um, which game from a coach defensive or whatever, offensive, but from a coaching standpoint, which game do you think Aaron Glenn and let's just say Ben Johnson, you know, with, with Dan in the room, are really sort of biting their, you know, chomping their teeth, chomping at the bit and can't wait to sort of either, you know, set a record straight or, or, or get better? Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. There was a lot to unpack there, but let, yeah, let's let's go with that last part. The what what game do you think those guys are are really hoping to flex their muscle? Because I I think the answer, I'll you know I'll just jump in first because I think week one, like, and then this isn't a you know we're not looking past the first opponent type of thing. It's you got out coached against the Eagles last year, out coached in a big way. We we looked at that Eagles team and. They were not good at the time. They were not doing a lot of things good. And they came out and did things that you weren't prepared for. And they, they came out and said it. They came out and said, like, they, they threw some looks at us that we weren't expecting and we were not prepared for and we couldn't respond to. And so I think they absolutely 100% are looking towards that game and saying, we got a coach out coach last time. We're not going to let it happen again. And, and that's how they should look at that game because one, it's the first game of the season. You're trying to set, set the tone Two. I think a lot of Lions fans are looking at that game like, like, all right, this is a litmus test. How much have we improved in one season? Have have we made it to a point where we can beat the Eagles? Have we made it to a point that we can contend with the Eagles? Or are we going to get our butts kicked again by a team that I think has kind of high expectations this year? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's I think it's week one. Um, man, what a roller coaster to get to this question, right? <laughs> dude, 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 long live the queen. I, I, I mean, it went from the queen to Trinity Benson, and then uh, I, I was looking up special team stats when he was because uh, uh, there's uh, there was so much goodness in that, and um, I'm just glad Dan can breathe now. Um, <laughs> but my goodness. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. Week one, I, I think is the, uh, I think it is the, the definite focus of, uh, where they're trying. And I think you explained it, uh, you know, thoroughly. So, um, but I want to, I don't want to, if Ryan wants to, if, I don't know if you want to have a comment on that other net, and then I want to go back to a different, uh, one of Dan's other comments. No, I, I think, I think the Philadelphia game is, the game right now. And, and I think like exactly what Jeremy said, it's not about not, you know, looking past any opponent, but they got out coached in all facets, all phases of the game. It was terrible. Just so bad. They buried the tape. Right. So, I mean, yeah, go ahead, Eric. Sorry, hit that wrong button. Um, no, so Dan was talking about special teams, so I just wanted to make sure we didn't skip over that because I know how easily Great. that would happen uh, if if <laughs> if Jeremy would be like, all right, well, we're ready to move on to the next question. If if I ever uh, had control of this show, yeah, no, I would. Yeah, you're right. You can, so you can so hear, you can hear the faucets turning on right now. <laughs> uh, but but Dan asked, how many people can play special teams? Um, and and I think that that's a good uh, question that that I didn't want to get you know, lost. Um, but last year they had 65 players play on special teams. Right. And then, so that's, they, they only keep 53 on the roster and they only activate what 48. Right. But they still were, they still use 65 because they have all these injury replacements and, and whatnot. But if we look at like how many people played like consistently on special teams, like let's say 
a hundred snaps is the uh, the minimum. They still had 19 players who played a hundred snaps of, of special teams. So it's a, it, it's one of these things where there's only like a handful of guys that don't play it. And pretty much everyone else has to, it, if it's only on like, it might just be in one phase of special teams, but it's something that is, it, it definitely drives decision-making when, um, when they're, um, collaborating to establish the roster. I, I have a name that I want to pull right now, and I know it's going to, uh, I know it's going to maybe excite the machine, but I, I'm trying to think back. I'm trying to think back to the last time if machines can be excited. I don't know how that works. But, anyways, like Johnson Batamosi, I feel like that's the <laughs> last player that the Lions brought on board to like, like that's what he's going to do. Like he's going to play special teams. And if he's on defense, hold on to your butts. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I like, well, remember he, it wasn't, it wasn't oh, just Batamosi. It was, it was Batamosi and D Virgin were both on those teams together and they were both only special teamers. Right. Yeah. Sorry right. That job. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. And, and I think like you, you, you see a signing like Chris board and it's like, Oh, Chris board, like he played a lot of special teams for the Ravens. It's like, no, Chris Board is like they're they're going to be okay with him getting some snaps like on defense. Like, mm-hmm. I I think that I, I think long past the days are are the Lions like making moves where it's like special teams, hell yes. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah, Here, no, certainly. And I think Reeves Maben and Derek Barnes like their their involvement in special teams went down when they were asked to step yep. up on defense. Like, like Reeves Maben saw 117 snaps. Derek Barnes saw 108 snaps on special teams. But even if you combine them, there was still a linebacker that had more than them combined. And it's somebody that people are, are probably not even thinking of. It was Anthony Pittman. Anthony Pittman had 374 special team snaps last year. That was like the most of, of, uh, on the entire team. C.J. Moore, of course, took a lot. Godwin Ikubukwe took a lot. Uh, Kabinda, Bobby Price. Those are guys that we like, you know, were, were used to being at the top. But, that, but Pittman, a very underrated special teams player last year. And, you know, he's one of those guys that kind of, helps illustrate the point that we made in the first segment where there's the, the importance of linebackers uh, and, and their value on special teams. But I agree with you, Ryan. I think that they're going away from the special teams only type of guy as they add more depth. Fun, fun little fact. Uh, we're working on a roster rankings one, one through 89 and Chris board is my number one linebacker on the team. He's my highest rated linebacker on the team. And it's because He's going to contribute a lot on special teams, and I think he's going to contribute some on, on defense, whereas, I don't know, who else can you trust? He was my number two for that reason, and I think the guy who is his chief competition for a starting job was my number one. Um, all right. Oh, you teaser. Well, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> all the best, and uh, hopefully we, we squeeze one in uh, you know, next week, but cheers. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate the call, buddy. All right, let's go to our next caller, Nick. D- uh, Nick M is here. Nick, how's it going, bud? Good morning, guys. Can you hear me? Yep, loud and clear. All right. So uh, I can't imagine how hard things are for you right now because um, it's hard for me to even think of uh, a question in uh, late <laughs> July. So God bless you. I do think, Jeremy, you may want to do like a human interest lifestyle like maybe like a pickup artist podcast where you like read your dating uh, app exchanges. <laughs> that might be good content just in the off season. You know what I sure. mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> in any case, and then separately, I appreciate uh, that uh, everyone thinks the machine is a pretty good nickname, but I feel like the machine's been in first gear uh, for a lot of this episode. So let's see if uh, hopefully this oh, question can, boy. you know, can really get them, you know, pedal to the metal, uh, which is, and you already kind of touched on this earlier, the linebacking core is obviously a very, very weak position group. I mean, I don't think everybody who looks at it seems to think that. And so the question is, one, uh, does that, how does that scheme limit our defense? Uh, what, what can we not do that we could otherwise do? Or two, is there a specific defensive philosophy, you know, uh, in terms of maybe focusing on the line stopping the run, kind of like what Brandon Staley did? I don't know, but is there a specific defensive philosophy that de-emphasizes linebackers in this defense, which might explain why the, the talent level at that position seems so low? I like that question a lot, Nick. I think I think there's two parts to it, and, and you kind of nailed them both. Like, one, what are the Lions essentially trying to do to to mitigate the damage of a bad linebacking core? And two, what could they do be doing if they had good linebackers that they won't be able to do? So, um, Eric, I, I got to throw it to the machine. I got I got to have the <laughs> machine defend himself here. <laughs> well, there's no defending. I I I, uh, I appreciate the nickname. Uh, look. I do think that the that the shift in philosophy is designed to um, limit the linebackers involvement. Uh, at the same time, it also puts a little bit of stress on them to make right decisions. So uh, let's talk first about like how it limits the involvement. The, the idea is the switching to the attacking front and, and to having more four down linemen is to have them disrupting and trying to make the plays at the line of scrimmage as opposed to relying on the linebackers to fill the right gap to make the play at the line of scrimmage, right? So the, the attacking scheme is designed to put the onus of playmaking on the guys, the big bodies up front. And if they, if the play does get past them, the linebackers are of course the first option and they're going to be, uh, asked to read what's happening in front of them, which is not necessarily a strength of some of them, but that's the the, the concept is they're going to have to be able to read misdirections and whatnot. But then I think they're expanding their secondary and that's really where they've added a bunch of their uh, capital this past off season. Uh, they've started flexing those uh, defensive backs into hybrid roles. And I believe that's because they're looking to keep more of them on the field at a time. So at most you're probably looking at like two linebackers on the field at a time. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of situations where they're going to try and reduce that number down to one so that they can have uh, more defensive backs out there who are faster and can move to uh, spots where the, the defensive front doesn't, if the defensive front doesn't make a play, right? So the focus from a philosophy standpoint is, they want their athletes. They want their big bodies. That's why they, you know, they want them to be able to to do the damage, so that they can. That should hopefully uh, offset the lack of, uh, I guess, talent. I don't. I mean, that's mean, but the lack of talent that they have at the linebacker level. Okay, that's just an awesome, awesome answer. See, this is off-season <laughs> gold. Sorry, I'm. I'll be quiet. No, no, you're good. Um, I, I would say like. My my biggest concern with like I think you're right like that's that's the idea. My biggest concern with it though, and and you got you touched on it a little bit there is, well, what happens is that that the front doesn't make the play. And I know Dan Campbell said like 
they're not asking these guys to run blindfolded upfield and, and make a play in, in the backfield, but that sort of stuff is going to happen. Like they're going to try to charge upfield and sometimes the runners are going to run right by them. And who is the first? And I'm not going to say only line of defense, but the line of defense that stops it from going from a three to four yard gain to a 15 to 20 yard gain mm-hmm. is those linebackers, right? It is. But the, the, when you look at the, the split zone scheme that they run that mm-hmm. can also help mitigate that because right. by keeping your defensive backs on their side of the field, even though they're in man coverage and they're, they're passing guys off by keeping those uh, defensive backs home, you're then not, you're now adding bodies right. to the fray. Right. And so that's an important concept. I think that like often gets overlooked is um, they're not always going to travel and, 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 that is going to help spread that that defensive out so that when, if they do run a counter or they run a, an end around or, or a reverse or something like that, that catches the, the defensive front off, off guard. Uh, hopefully you have a defensive back that should be staying home uh, because of the split zone. And and that's why the lines are also getting, you know, lighter and faster at the, at the linebacking core yeah. level too, speed. right? It's like they're yeah. going to have to chase speed. them. Dudes. Exactly. They want a lot of speed, This is, which is why Derek Barnes is so suited for this, why Malcolm Rodriguez right. is suited for this. Yep. And Jared Davis, honestly, physically is best, is suited for this. Is He's just got to be able to make that right read. Yeah. So I, I have a, a question to kind of piggyback on this, and, and I think it's interesting to, to discuss just a little bit. Do you think that because of what you just said, Jeremy, and, and you elaborated on Eric in terms of the Lions just needing different types of players at the linebacker position, do you think that because it's such a drastic and stark change from the kind of linebackers that were in Patricia's scheme do you think that's why this position group is the one that everybody kind of circles as yikes? Like these guys, like, <laughs> like this group really needs to be, you know, um, really needs to be addressed. That's, I mean, that's a good question, right? It, it certainly, it had the most that needed to change, right? There was, there was no one essentially from that past team that fit what they were trying to do. Oddly, other than Jalen Reese, Maven, who was probably the best fit, um, the best kind of go between between those two schemes you get. Um, I think they just they weren't in his price range this year. Who who got here before Matt Patricia too? Though, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So he three different defenses. Um, but yeah, no, like they had the most work to do there. But I don't think that fully explains their lack of investment there. Right. I mean they they've had they right. had opportunities in free agency. They've had opportunities in the draft and you can say maybe they don't value the position that much you can say maybe they just didn't find the right guy or they like someone better or maybe maybe just maybe they they like the guys in the room a little bit better than than everyone else seems to but um i i I would agree that it it was a position that had the most they had to overturn because of philosophical defenses um but i wouldn't excuse uh philosophical differences but i wouldn't excuse that necessarily for why the position is as it is right now yeah, it's the only position other than tight end that has that they have not invested a top 100 pick in or signed like a notable name in free agency, right? Um, every other position has gotten an addition at, at, at a high level of, of investment, and except except for linebacker, right? And you, I mean, with tight end, you can excuse it a, a little bit because you have Hawkinson, but yeah, line. I think that's the biggest point of concern is that 
it's been a problem for a while and the investment has only been a fourth and a sixth rounder. All right. In-depth linebacker talk. Just just the Kool-Aid that we need to get right in the training camp. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> no problem, Nick. Thanks for the question, bud. Uh, and with that, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to close things up here on the Spotify Live app, taking your live questions here as part of Pride of Detroit. So stick with us. We will be right back. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome back to our Spotify Live Q&A here as part of the Pride of Detroit podcast uh, family. Um, we're going to jump right back into questions. We've got Wheels Up here, ready to start our third segment. Wheels Up, thanks for joining us. How you doing? Well, my question actually had to do with dedication, so I appreciate your dedication to get me on the show, even though <laughs> I had technical difficulties. No worries. We talk, we talk a lot about, like, these sticky, you know, sub-headlines, like things like, oh, we got to change the culture, or, oh, I, I want this to happen so we can get the franchise player, right, the quarterback, th- this type of thing. But – or you look at the word like fan and it means fanatic. And then like people want to make this assumption that like, if you're a Browns fan, you know, do you have to agree with Deshaun Watson as your quarterback? Can you cheer for a guy like Adrian Peterson, even though he might have some off field issues, stuff of this nature. So when we talk about culture and, and value, I was listening, or I was actually reading Bill Simmons did a breakdown of a value tier. So instead of ranking players, he tiered them based on value. When you guys sit down to watch games, what do you value in terms of your fan base, in terms of your group of people that you watch games with? What do you value from Lions fans? And then as we, as we think about players as people, what do you think the most valuable thing is when it comes to acquiring talent outside of the X's and O's, if that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think it, it's more of just like human elements of what, what, what do you prioritize in that both in terms of people that you surround yourself with when you're watching football and um, when you're trying to build a franchise. And I, I think this is like a, a very interesting and, and valuable question, especially today, which is the, the 54th birthday of Barry Sanders. And I was just thinking about how much, he means to the franchise itself and how much 
the Lions owe to him for, I mean, how many fans have you guys heard that they aren't even from the Detroit area, aren't even from Michigan, that are Lions fans because of Barry Sanders or Lions fans because of someone like Calvin Johnson who just do so much on the field and do so little in terms of, of distraction off the field that that's, I mean, that's, I think this is, that's a good place to start the conversation is you want someone who can just be dynamic on the field, just someone that's worth the price of admission alone. Those guys are few and far between, obviously, but if you can combine that with someone who is so humble, so committed to his craft that he doesn't get in trouble. He doesn't, you know, speak up in the media when, when he shouldn't, he doesn't, you know, he hands, he hands, not that, not, not that there can't be any flash and flair to your, to your kind of off season personality, but um, having a guy that you, you know, is just not going to get in trouble, not going to cause distractions, not going to be the focus of the media when, when it should be the team. I think that's in, in terms of your, your players, that's, that's what you're looking for, not only to build a culture off of, but just to, to have around you, because I think it, it helps everyone else be kind of in a, in a better mental state. I, I will say that as as a kid playing sports, like Barry Sanders drew the ire of me many times because you know how many coaches reference like you see Barry Sanders celebrate, scores a touchdown, <laughs> hands, hands the ball the referee, and he walks back to the bench. And it's like, hey, I'm from the YouTube generation, man. I <laughs> want to celebrate. Um, no, I so I was listening to uh, I just saw this clip uh, on Twitter uh, before for the podcast today and it's Julio Jones talking about Alabama and he's there with Nick Saban and he's talking about how um, he's talking about how players always have questions for him. Like, you know, what was it like to play at Alabama? Like, you know, what's Nick Saban really like and all this stuff and talking about like how players can earn playing time. And I think one thing that's really important for culture is accountability and Julio Jones talks about how at Alabama, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't hold yourself accountable, you're not going to play. Like if, if you can't be counted on to handle your job and do your job, then the guy who plays next to you, they can't trust you. And, you know, he says, that's why, that's why players who are like freshmen, if they can play and, and they're, they're somebody who can handle that responsibility and they can hold themselves accountable, like like they'll play. And I think you see that in Detroit. Like you see that with his coaching staff. Like it's all about competition. It's all about the guys who are going to, the guys who are going to play are the ones that are going to hold themselves accountable and they're going to, they're going to dedicate themselves. So I think that's a huge part of, um, I think that's a huge part of culture. Anything to add there, Eric? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm with you guys. I, I, I think it's, it makes it really easy to, to root for a team when they prioritize employing good people. Right. Right. And, um, you know, just from, uh, he, he asked about wheels up, asked about like from a personal perspective, like how, what are you, what, you know, what do we try to surround ourselves with? And I think it's the same idea. You try and surround yourself with like people that are good. Right. And when we go to training camp, you know, we try and interact with the people who, who we enjoy interacting with and, and the ones who like to cause controversy, we, we typically avoid. And, you know, you do the same thing um, with your fandom, you know, when you're interacting with people on social media and, you know, you, I enjoy interacting with people who are kind and who offer 
you know, honest perspectives on things. Uh, I don't enjoy interacting with people who, you know, are trying to be dramatic for effect or trying to be jerks about things or, you know, are just trying to get a, a, a you know, rise out of somebody, right? Like uh, those are, I, I don't, I, I enjoy being able to have good relationships with people that are just good people, right? And so uh, it, it it's really easy to do this job when, you when your interactions are positive and the hardest part about this job is when you have people that are trying to you know gotcha or trying to like you know put you in your place or something like that and if you can ignore that then like it's really if you can push out those negativities then it's really easy to be a fan and then when you the product that you're you know looking at on the field is is reflecting that as well it just it just makes it really joyful to be able to uh, appreciate yeah, the, the only thing I, I have to add there um, in terms of watching games, like people surround who you surround yourself with, you watch games. I'm very picky. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to lie. Um, and, and I can at times be a tough person to watch football with because, uh, you know, I, I'm getting better at it and I'm certainly good at it when I'm when I'm at Ford Field, but I can be an emotional guy and. <laughs> um, and, and one with it with, with short tempers at times when, when I, you know, if someone there is, is watching football and they don't know football and they're, and they're saying things that are ignorant and like that only adds to my anxiety on, on a day that tends to be filled with emotion. So I, the number one thing I look for when I'm watching a game with someone is just someone who knows the game. And that's why, you know, not to turn this into a bromance, like I'm, I'm pretty lucky that, that I get to sit with Eric because a lot of times, you know, a play will happen and, and the way it happens at Ford Field is we see it live and then it broadcasts about 10 seconds later. And so if Eric sees something interesting dirt while we're watching it live, he'll be like, oh man, you gotta, you gotta go watch what Panay Sewell does on this play. And then we'll all get to watch a replay and I can just focus on Panay Sewell. And that just leads so much more to my enjoyment of the game that, that I get, because that, that to me is what I love about the game. It's so intricate and, you know, 11 different people are doing 11 different things every play and, and you're not going to see it all on one thing. And so it's, just such a complicated game watching the game with someone who understands it who sees who watches it a little bit different maybe than than kind of casual fans might that adds so much enjoyment to the game for me uh, go ahead eric no i was just gonna say uh, i no you go because i i have a story <laughs> okay all right well i I, w- I was just gonna say if if they're so jeremy's kind of sharing like the the kind of person that he likes to watch games with the kind of person that i cannot stand to watch games with is the person who is always talking about officiating. Like if you are, <laughs> if you are hyper-focused on like every call, it doesn't matter what sport it is, but if it's like ref this, ref that, official this, official that, it's like, are you enjoying this right now? Like, are you enjoying your time? Like, <laughs> is, this, is this what brings you enjoyment in sports is complaining about the zebras, um, which, uh, is a, which, which is a story I'll keep for, for post uh, – <laughs> for the post show but go ahead eric share your story so jeremy and i have been sitting next to get each other at ford field for four years now and um the 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 press box is is set up with like three levels and um initially we were on the third level because you know we were still breaking in and now we're up front with the the important people which is like uh really awesome and we really enjoy it but my story goes back to the third level when (laughs) the very first game that that we are that we are covering live and um the lions are playing the jets and if you recall the first play 
of the first game that we covered against the Jets was a pick six to Quandre Diggs. And in the press box, we are supposed to be able to keep our composure and like be respectful. They announce it like 30 times, like this is a working press box and there's no cheer, right? They throw that pick six and Jeremy stands up and screams, F yeah! Whoa, like, whoa! I didn't know. Uh, that did. is way you exaggeration. Did. You absolutely. Did. I did not scream the F word. There's okay, no maybe, chance I screamed them. Oh yeah, it, it felt like it. Let me put it that way. It was more like a yeah, like it was like I I cut myself off in the middle. But you ducked below the the. Yeah, no. After I realized you, what had happened, I'm like, oh shit! You ducked below the counter. Here's the thing, the the it's an open press box, right? And the crowd was so loud. There was no way anybody heard you, right? <laughs> but like, there was no way. Like, it was just, it was so loud. But it was just, it was so pure and like, enjoy it. It, it was, it's one of my favorite moments of over the last four years because you were just so, you were just so in the moment. And it's just like, it, it really is, shows like the difference, I think, in our job as opposed to like some of the other people who, uh, you know, cover the team is that we get to They're more professional. The, oh, no, 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 no. We are, we are, we, we are absolutely, we, we look, we, when we have to turn it on, we turn it on, uh, except for the, except for this one moment. But, um, but it was just, it was so fun to me. Like I can still remember the look on your face. Like I still like it. And I, oh, I man. turned red. I'm sure. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> Cause that, well, that, the, was our, that was our first year in like that's, the first game, tr- the yeah. first play. It yeah, was the that, first play we were credentialed was a pick six. Yeah. And like, I, I still remember it, but yeah, that was my first game as, as a credentialed member. Yeah. Your eyes were like saucers. <laughs> it was amazing. And so like, and so like, that's like, that's part of it. Like, like everybody, like the crowd cheers and everybody's professional and like now now we we you know we give fist bumps under the table instead of like <laughs> yeah. stand, standing up and cheering but like that's right that's part of like the uh but it's it's really like enjoyable like i i i'm glad that we get to uh that we get to spend half the games uh yeah. sitting next to each other yeah i i had fun. them i had that moment in 2017 when friday detroit first got press credentials that's right. You guys were, you remember, were, you, were you the first person or was it Alex? You and Alex split credentials before I even got there. Yeah. So I think I was the first person to go because we had, we had credentials for the preseason too. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I went to week one of 2017 and that was Arizona Cardinals. And I almost jumped out of my seat when Kenny Galladay had the diving catch for the touchdown. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and it was one of those things where like, I made too much of a scene, but like, I don't think anybody noticed me. And then I just had like shifty eyes for a minute. And I was like, you got it. You got to get rid of that. You can't do that anymore, man. (laughs) Like just having an internal dialogue and it's weird how you can manage it. But at the same time, like you feel that like in the pit of your stomach all the time, like that, that doesn't really go away. Right. When, When Amon Ra caught that touchdown against the Vikings, Jeremy flipped around like, cause it was, we were both looking to our left. So, and when he caught it, Jeremy flipped around back to his right and you could see, like his whole body went tense. And he, he was like, he was almost like, I want to pound my fists in excitement. Like his whole body just like shook because <laughs> he was like, Aah! and he did, but he kept it all in and he maintained his professionalism. But oh my gosh, like, 
like it was what? we had such the perfect angle on it and you the the it was bubbling over it was awesome when, when's the closest you've come to breaking ah oh, um maybe that quandary digs pick six like <laughs> that i mean you, that was super you know, exciting you probably, right in front of us like you were when probably doing too. you were probably doing the exact same thing i was just loud in in my moment and you didn't even notice i don't know if you heard like i i I, I saw man when I saw that play unfold, like you could see Amonra open up, and I was like, "Why are they so off?" You know what I mean? Like, why are the yeah. why are the DBs playing so off? And so like it was, uh, yeah, I I I I don't know. I felt I I could feel that one coming. It was beautiful. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I'm sure that I broke. I'm sure that yeah. I have. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I can't, I don't, yeah, I'm keeping an extra eye on you but... this year. <laughs> I, I I gotta have a story for you for the next time we get asked something. Well, yeah, no, here's the, I mean, like I talk almost the whole game too, which I'm sure is annoying as can be, right? Because I'm constantly like, okay, I think this is gonna happen or this is gonna happen, and I'm sure you tune me out quite a bit. So uh, no comment. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm sure it is. Like it's okay. <laughs> All right, uh, we went long on that one, but uh, that was a fun question. Thank you uh, for wheels up for that one. Uh, let's move to Corey next. Corey, welcome to the show. Hey, you, you beautiful queens. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing? We're doing well, bud. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'll never tune you out there, Slip. <laughs> um, i tell you what, man. Um, so I've got um, a couple questions. Shout out to Indigo, by the way. Um, I feel <laughs> like he needs some love. And uh, number one, uh, going off of something that uh, – uh, Indigo mentioned in the chat. Um, it's good to hear your voices, by the way, guys. Um, I miss you. Um, so, uh, Ryan, did you, uh, shoot all the birds in your yard so you could get as much sleep as possible right now? Because we cannot hear any birds. Yeah. Where, where's the, Are you sleeping right now, Ryan? Where's the ambiance here? No, I'm awake. I, I don't know if coffee is a deterrent for birds but uh i took a, I took a sip i took a sip of my coffee when it was way too hot because i am so tired and it just all fell out of my mouth because oh my god um so i don't i don't know if that if that did it or not but oh man we're really brother bird call right now <laughs> birds birds okay go ahead well, <laughs> so um i was talking to my buddy who's a counselor and um and I blew out my knee and, and times are tight, you know, financially. I was talking to him and he was like, well, what are you doing, man? You jotting down your thoughts. And I'm like, well, I call Pride of Detroit every Saturday morning. And they're like, well, are you, what do you talk to him about? And I said, well, I talked to him mostly like up until now about whether or not they'd rather beat Matt Patricia's ass or make the playoffs. <laughs> and they're like, well, in their words, they said that doesn't sound very productive. And I'm like, okay, well, I ask a more serious question this week and it kind of piggybacks off of uh well wheels just ass in a way but it's not about who you watch the game with or whatever but i'm down in uh um i grew up in michigan but i'm down in uh the town where uh, joe burrow grew up and played high school or didn't yeah played high school and stuff down southeast risden uh ou country um and uh so my question kind of like and especially after the character issues personally of the previous coaching staff and, and whatnot go to play. Um, I wanted to ask how much does like the character of the players, we talk a lot about culture here and stuff too, but I've noticed this down here. I'll, I'll, let me preface it with this. 
sorry, long-winded. Dan, what's up, man? I'm just like you. So uh, um, we just get to Gavin, man, um, and we're not tipsy. Um, so a lot of my friends down here are like Browns fans, and I'm like, oh, shit, I'll, take, I'll, I'll pick these guys up as my second favorite team because they remind me of the Lions in a lot of ways over the years. And uh, when they traded for Deshaun Watson, I just told all my friends, screw this team. You know, yeah. like I won't cheer for him, um, you know, period, hands down. So how much we talk a lot about a culture and, and a lot of people, a lot of fans will say, you know, oh, who cares about culture? We were three and 13 and one or whatever. Um, to me, how much does it matter to you guys, you know, um, and how much does it impact your support of a team when um, let's say the Lions traded for Deshaun, right? Yeah. How would you guys feel about cheering for the Lions, man? You know, because like, and so here's my serious question. Yeah, you know, so uh, usually I'm just kind of messing around, but but my counselor friend just got inside my head, and now we're all serious. <laughs> What's up, Lionel no. Richie? <laughs> it's it's a really good question because for me, my my fandom has not ever been tested in that sort of way. Not that there hasn't been, you know quote unquote, bad people on any of these sports teams that I've cheered for, but not, I guess, in, in such a big way like that. And uh, honestly, the closest thing is probably Matt Patricia, right? Like, right. There, there was immediately uh, an issue, uh, an, an ethical issue, and, and obviously nothing is proven. And so that that leaves a whole nother level of, of how, how much can you separate allegations from someone you want to root for? Um, and in general, like it's it's a philosophical question that goes well beyond sports, right? Like we ask this ourselves of of artists all the time: Can you separate the art from the artist when when something is revealed horrible about an artist's past or an artist's present? So, I I don't think there's an easy answer here. I I think if you know I I threw it out there on Twitter. I think at one point, like if the Lions were have, will have traded for for Deshaun Watson, it would be really hard for me to root for this team in the media. And it, and honestly, it'd probably be hard for me to, to cover them as well. I, I do it because it's my job, but it would, it would challenge my fandom in ways that, that, like I said, it's just never been challenged before. Right. Cause cap cap got cap caught more and Colin Kaepernick caught more yeah. shit than Deshaun Watson seems to be doing. Sure. And to me, that just makes it, um, you know, I mean, I'm trying to be as politically neutral as possible for the purposes of the show, um, but you know, for me, it's just, uh, we talked in the past about my, you know, my dad being a coach and stuff. And it was always about, you know, um, high character, bust your butt players, people that give back to the community. And then that, that translates onto the field. And I think a lot of fans underestimate that, um, you know, that impact and how yeah. it actually does, you know, play out on the field as well. It's not just some, uh, you know, Disney movie. You know, it's actually like a real thing. And I, I think that that plays into the reason why the fandom is so, in such a good spot right now is because when Patricia got here, like it was negative from the start. It was, he, he, it was not only him kind of emitting negative energy, but, you know, he's getting rid of these guys who had been longtime loved players here in this, in this community and, and good people in the community and and replace them with guys who just like don't have a personality. Not not a, he didn't replace them with bad people, but just people who weren't established in this community and brought energy to the city. So um, I I, I want to let someone else talk on this topic because it's 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 a tough one. Um, and obviously you guys might not know the answer to how 
would you react if, if someone like Deshaun Watson were, were to get acquired by the, the Lions? But I'm curious your thoughts. Um, I, okay, so first of all, I, I never try in like, and, and, I, and I know this is true of you guys as well, I never try and um, tell people how to be a fan, right? Like I, I, I think people have their own priorities and, and what they – what they value in order to, you know, support their fandom. And, and, and I think my philosophy on being a fan has, has actually changed and evolved over, over time as well. Um, but like for me personally, um, the events in the world, like over the last few years have really changed my perspective and my kids have grown up, um, you know, to an age where they're more influenced by society. And, and I think that that has changed my focus on the things that I value and, and what I'm investing my time in. And so to have an organization that prioritize, prioritizes value and good, like I said, good uh, culture in, in people, being able to support that is a good uh it's, it, it's, it's a good model for my children who are now, be, you know, like I said, influential. And so I, I appreciate that part of it. Now, if they were to have done something that would have, you know, like adding Deshaun Watson, I, I think that would have made me start to question, you know, my support of that because of the daughters that I have and the age they are and how my life has changed and how, like, I think society has changed. And so I, I think it's an ever evolving thing. And for me personally, I would have had a harder time with it um, now than maybe I would have had like you know, 10 years ago. But um, so, you know, everyone's going to have a different opinion, but for me personally, I, I would have a hard time for it because of the responsibilities that I have as uh, in my job and as, as a family man. What do you think, Ryan? Any, anything you want to add about your point of view? Because I, th- I think Eric brings up a good point. Like everyone's going to react differently, and and we're not telling people if if a team does this, you can't be a fan of them anymore. But um, everyone has their own kind of perspective there. So I'm curious as to yours. Yeah, I so so the one thing that I kind of hear all of us saying, um, but I guess to to put it more explicitly is, you know, somebody who like I I mean I, I really broke in with Pride of Detroit like writing fantasy football stuff. And from that standpoint, a lot of my fandom has been predicated on like rooting for like individual players. Whereas when I was younger, it was like, I'm rooting for the whole team sink or swim, no matter what, like I'm in it through the thick and thin. Like, but if I like, um, I mean, I remember where I was when I heard about, you know, uh, the domestic or the domestic assault that Kareem Hunt, um, that got him released from the chiefs and he was, on my fantasy, yeah, yeah, he was, he was on my fantasy football team. And I like, I, I mean, I'm not trying to virtue signal or anything like that, but it's just like, I can't root for this guy. Like I, and, and I just dropped him. And it was one of those things where like somebody came in and immediately swooped it up. They're like, what an idiot. You're so stupid. I was like, well, one, he's not going to play football this year Two, Like, why, why would you, why, like, how, how can you like, how can you really get yourself up on Sunday? And be like, yeah, go Kareem hunt. You know what I mean? Like, Right. I don't know. Like there, there was this shift that happened. Like, I feel like with Ray Rice, you know what I mean? Like as soon as, as soon as like video starts to emerge, like that's when things change. Um, but I, I think I, I've just come, I, I don't want to say I've progressed or anything, but like I, 
like Eric said, like I, I, I'm just in a much different stage of my life in terms of like my rooting interests and how I go about like rooting and, and, and I priorities change. Yeah. And, and I think the Deshaun Watson thing is interesting because it's not like he's a bottom of the roster player. Like he is the quarterback, like he is the face of your franchise and it's really hard to divorce. Like if he was playing for the Detroit lions, it's like, how can I root for the Detroit lions while this guy is like the star of the team? And I'm, I mean, I, for one, am really, I'm really glad that the lions weren't in on that. Um, and I mean, you could see the fallout on Twitter from like some of the fan base. Like, I mean, Gianna Kelly, like from SB nation, like hearing that like Atlanta was in on it, like, She's just like, dude, what is going on with this organization? Like, this is just despicable. It's unacceptable. And yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's a lot of gray area and, and that's life, but. May I piggyback yeah. on for a sec? Sure. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, my, my least favorite fans are the people that are like, who cares about, any type of justice issue or fairness or consequences for people. There are the people that are like my fantasy league just got wrecked because this dude just did something horrific to somebody. And I don't care about that. It's just like, man, like get a life. Uh, no offense to anybody out there. Well, actually offense intended <laughs> if you're one of those people. Um, but the other thing, yeah, to factor into this too, it's all like, I, you know, I think it's, um, I think in most uh, conversations about um, athletes and stuff, um, you know, we forget about Robert Kraft and like the video evidence, you know, and, and things like that. And, the, and, you know, when the owners are a part of things that are um, pretty, pretty horrible in a lot of ways, you know, like uh, I think it's also, it's not, it's not great to be a Washington commander players. fan right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no doubt. So, I mean, I just I just wanted to because like one thing that I really appreciate right now is that I went from over the course. okay, we can talk about Brad Holmes draft and we can talk about culture and all this other stuff. But as a fan, one of the things I've most appreciated is how radicalized the um, the team has become from, oh, my God, can I cheer for this guy? Because Patricia is like kind of creepy um and doing horrible stuff to a situation where i'm just like man i can i feel like i can cheer for this team you know on multiple levels and i really dig that i really appreciate yeah. that as a fan so uh, yeah it, it feels like a, a weights off your shoulders a little bit like that, i mean football and, and the nfl in general like there has to be at least a little bit of compartmentalization right because in general, there are a lot of things that the NFL does. There's a lot of things, you know, with concussions. And, and I mean, Kelvin Johnson was a guy who was very open about some of the things that the Lions didn't do appropriately in terms of his, his physical care. And that's not, you know, that's not, it's not just the Lions that, that were bad at stuff like that. It's, it's the NFL. And, and you have to, you have to bury some of that as a fan. I mean, there, there are a lot of questionable things that this organization does. And this organization, I mean the NFL, um, but also by proxy, the, the teams that you have to you have to be okay with or you have to put it aside or you have to pick your battles. Um, it's 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 a moral, you know, minefield. And the the one thing I, I think there are some lines that, that you can draw though, right? There are some things that, that are 
you, you can't broach this you, you, with individuals, with teams, with whatever. But everyone's got their own lines. And everyone's got their own boundaries. And so so I don't want to be too judgmental of other people, but um, I, I think oh, Ryan nailed that. it where it's like when it's your quarterback, when it's a guy who's yeah. the majority of people in the crowd are wearing this guy's jersey. And if if there's moral questions about that guy that are very, very serious moral questions, well, then, yeah, it's going to be a lot harder to to kind of swallow your pride there. Yeah, man, no doubt. And I, th- I you know, I think I just just real quick and get off the phone with you guys. I know you got other people, but um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we're living in a time where it's really important for the jerseys on our back to reflect uh, something better. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, dude, I appreciate you guys. You, uh, hey, Eric, we still cool, man? That little... <laughs> of, course. <laughs> of course, buddy. I love you, man. You are, <laughs> you are the shit. All right, all right, Ryan, you uh, drink some more lattes, and uh, Jeremy, you you be well, brother. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All right, man. All right, uh, we got time for two more, and by time I mean we are definitely going overtime this week. And you know what? Since we only got a couple of these left, why the hell not? Uh, Jacob, you're next. Jacob, how's it going, man? Good. How are y'all doing? Good, good. Good. Took me a second to get that unmute. First of all, I just want to apologize uh, for my comments on Reddit about Ryan's uh, (laughs) immature sense of humor. (laughs) Y'all found me. You figured me out. I'm sorry about that. Um, You know, you hang out with a bunch of sophomores, then I guess you get the sophomoric sense of humor. But. uh, you know, this this third segment has gotten real deep on us. I was going to ask like a depth chart kind of question, but I'll switch gears a little bit. Um, hopefully we're OK, kind of sticking on like the more serious note here, because I do think it is really valuable. Um, I think, it, Jeremy, you talked about one of the, your your actual proudest moments during the Patricia era was when the team kind of canceled practice after uh, I think that was the shooting of of Jacob Blake in, in Milwaukee. And I'm wondering, do y'all have a a sense, um, you know, what sort of discourse the the players have around racial justice, around sexual assault and and some of these really important social issues? Like, is that part of the off-season program? Is, Is that kind of regular conversation? We really, I think, laud these coaches as very relationship driven. Do they... Um, take time to have have conversations. What what do y'all know about that um, from your time being around the building? That, that's a good question, Jacob. And I know in the past they've they've certainly had speakers come in about um, certain topics like that. Um, especially especially during that time where everyone felt like they needed a voice. Um, the Lions have their own Detroit Lions charity, which in the past has been voted on by players of which which causes to support. I don't know if I can say much about the current regime, though, on that sort of topics, because we haven't really had much, you know, locker room interaction. Um, I don't know, Eric, if, if you have something maybe that I missed that that um, relates to this topic. But I, I think we're still kind of figuring out where that where this regime stands in terms of their their activeness, their their, I don't know, involvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they still have their their Lions Inspire Change Social Justice Initiative that they that they do through their charity uh, networking. Um, I don't know if they have um, like conversations like that are dedicated specifically to that on like a regular basis anymore. I know with the previous regime they did because of the the 
the uh, you know the events that ha- that were happening at that time. But um, I know that that's that's something that, like you said, they they have brought people in to do like uh, presentations and or, or lectures and have conversations like that. But I don't know if it's necessarily like a a regular thing that they continue. Um, I think our limited access over the last couple of years because of COVID has really kind of uh, curbed that our, our access to stuff like that, to finding that out. And hopefully we'll be able to learn more about that as we go. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of individuals that were on the team during those times that were actively involved. And so, um, you know, like Trey Flowers was one of the biggest ones, yeah. right? And he's no longer yeah. with the team. But um, there's still other guys. Taylor Decker was a big uh, advocate at that time. He was a captain. He 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 showed that Stafford was involved in that. Um, and Tracy. so, uh, yeah, Tracy, obviously, because of his cousin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, they, they still have players that, that um, it, it's an important – it's an important focus for them. I just don't know um, what they're doing behind the scenes just because our access has been so limited. Yeah, I guess, I guess the closest thing that we've experienced was, was the shooting, right? Um, Why can't I think of the, the yeah, probably because there's been a million of them. Oxford. Um, You're talking about, yeah, yeah, Um, they, when they refocused for Oxford and, um, right. And then, you know, what's, what's interesting is that um, when Michigan did theirs, theirs was spearheaded by Aiden Hutchinson. Mm. And so, you know, when you, you can talk about the fact that like, you know, he was such an, he's an, you know, he's another younger guy that's coming into the organization that is where it's at the forefront of, of of his focus as well. So it's, um, I I thought I, I tried to look up real quick if they, I thought they had somebody on staff. Uh, but they, they, you know, they've added so many different elements to, to, to work on mental health and to work on like social justice. Um, I just, I couldn't find the name in time to, uh, to figure out exactly who to credit for some of the stuff that they have in place. Ryan, do you have uh, anything to add about the topic and, and what you've noticed about the teams, either past or current culture when it comes to social issues like that? Uh, not really. I mean, you guys are in the building more than I am. So um, I just the only one that came to mind that you just mentioned was after the uh, the Oxford shooting. But, um, you know, while so here's the thing, I, I think while the, the coaching staff matters, while the players matter in terms of uh, in terms of the, the claim that they stake and, and, and the message that they want to, to to get out there because of the platforms that they have, it's. I, I feel like ownership is very important in this too. Um, sure. and, and ownership is something to, to keep in mind uh, in terms of how the Lions respond to, to these very serious issues. So um, I, I can say that, you know, ever since the Lions, you know, canceled the rest of that practice, you know, that, that was the Patricia era. Yeah. You know, so that, I mean, that, that was a, an entirely different regime. Uh, that that went about doing that, but you know you, you have to have backing from from ownership from from the top down, and I think that the Lions in, in recent memory have done a pretty good job of uh, letting their players uh, you know spread their spread their message. Fair enough. All right, uh, Jacob, appreciate the question, man. Uh, I like talking about things that that sometimes get swept under the rug like that. So 
Yeah, no, thanks again for, for digging deep this Saturday morning. We, we appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Jacob, you have a good rest of your Saturday. Uh, let's bring in our last caller here. Thank you for being patient, Caden. Uh, welcome to the show, bud. Oh, hey, hey there, can Caden? you guys hear me? Yeah, there you are. Hey, how's it going, man? All right, my audio might be a little choppy, so I'm going to keep this quick. Uh who is your dark horse in the linebacker room? I know Jeff Risden on Lions Wire is a big uh, fan of Sean Dion Hamilton and a couple of the other guys. And I know with our scheme change, linebacker is not going to be on the field as much. I was just wondering your guys' opinions on your dark horse uh, to make the to make the roster. Ooh, uh, this is this is a fun one because I mean we we've talked a lot about linebackers today, but um, when it comes down to it, I mean it, it's it's tough to know who's who's going to be on, who's going to be off since there is no clear starters. Uh, Ryan, I'll, I'll let you have the first crack at this one. Is there is there one guy that you're like people are sleeping on him? He's he may, maybe maybe even it's not like he might make the fifty three, but like he might make an impact too. God, I can't believe I've. I can't believe I've come all the way to this point where I'm like, it's Malcolm Rodriguez. You know what I mean? Like as soon as Malcolm Rodriguez was drafted, it was hype train full steam ahead. Like everybody in the fan base was like, this guy can be a starter like day one. And I was like, cool. You're freaking jets. It's a sixth round pick. Like what are we doing here? And now I'm at the point where, yeah, Malcolm Rodriguez could be a dude like, like not like not not a, not a really good player, um, maybe not out of the gate, right? But it just seems like the narrative around him, going all the way back to rookie, you know, minicamp, Jeremy, uh, mm-hmm. going all the way back to to then when it was like he required like zero coaching, like he knew like <laughs> he knew like what he was doing and where he was going, where he needed to be at all times, and I think that that's just a guy who for me personally, like I had him not off the roster, but just because of the lion's lack of depth at linebacker, you know, I definitely would say like, Oh yeah, Alex Anzalone. That's a guy who's going to play over him. Uh, You know, Derek Barnes is a guy who should be playing over him. Like there isn't a clear path for Malcolm Rodriguez to to get a lot of snaps on defense where now I'm starting to change. And I don't know if Malcolm Rodriguez is a cop-out answer, but like, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a fair thing to say, that guy might have a shake at getting some snaps on defense. Eric, do you have maybe a deeper cut than, than Malcolm Rodriguez? If, if we're, if we're viewing Malcolm Rodriguez as a cheating answer, which I don't know, like he's, he's going to make, I think we can all agree. There's pretty good, like almost a 90 plus chance. He's going to make the roster. The question is how much he'll contribute. Who's maybe someone that's, that's more on the roster bubble that, that you're like, people are, people need to remember this guy. Uh, Anthony Pittman. You stole my answer. (laughs) Uh, He played the most special team snaps last year for the Lions. He's a guy that the coaches were talking up uh, early in, in the spring. He's uh, he has coverage ability. He has, he's, he's, he's played the position before he's, he's added weight and played on the edge before he's, he's done a lot of different things that, and he just kind of gets overlooked. And uh, I think he's more valuable than I think what people are, are really thinking about. Um, if I stole yours, I mean, I'll throw it back at you and I'll just say, go anywhere, like pick anybody uh, outside a linebacker that, that you, uh, that you like. Well, the, the one thing I wanted to add with Anthony Pittman too, is 
he's 25. Like he's still young and has room to grow. And considering this coaching staff is what it is, there, there's a good chance we haven't seen yet his potential on defense. If, 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 if he makes it to that point. Um, but yeah, I don't have stretching it out to everybody. Well, now you're putting me on the spot here. That's a lot of people to choose All right, from. I'll give you one chase Lucas. Chase Lucas is a guy that I think a lot of people are overlooking as a seventh round pick. And I think he's going to come in. Like I loved everything I saw about him in the spring. Yeah. And uh, he's a guy that I think will, could be a potential gunner. He's a guy who, uh, you know, has a, he could be in, in on dime sets early. He could, he's a, I'm not ruling out that he could straight up win the, the nickelback job altogether. Um, I don't, I'm not saying that he's going to do that right now, but I'm saying the talent level is there that it chases a guy that I'm super high on that. Um, I think is getting uh, written off by a lot of people too. That's fair. He's also 25, isn't he? He's, I think he's 35. <laughs> if, <laughs> he's 35 already? Wow. Uh, yeah, no, he's he, yeah, he's also, yeah, he's aged, but I think, like, you can see that maturity yeah, that he has sure. from his time. I mean, look, he played at Arizona State, and he it, it's Herm Edwards and uh, yeah. and uh, Marvin Lewis, like, coaching him. Like, he's he, he's picked up a few things. Oh, I think. I think you muted yourself there in the middle. But... I did. I think I'm done. <laughs> that was a chase. Okay. Lucas. I, I mean, I don't know if there's chase another Lucas. guy, but yeah, from a, a Pittman Lucas. I mean, I think those are kind of more deep cut guys that people have written off. All right. I think we're going to leave it there then. Uh, thanks for the question, Caden. And thank you everybody uh, for the questions. Uh, we might stay a little bit for overtime just for one caller after this, but uh, to, to our podcast audience, appreciate you listening. We only probably have one of these left. But, of course, on the podcast feed, we have all sorts of other stuff, including our interview show, uh, First Bite in the Middle of the Week, and then our main POD cast, which we record live on our Twitch channel Monday nights. Um, training camp's coming up, y'all, so uh, appreciate that the, the all the patronage throughout the offseason, but things are going to really ramp up, and we're going to have a lot of fun things to talk about soon. But until then, thank you all for listening. For Ryan, for Eric, I'm Jeremy. It's chaos. Be kind. <laughs>